Hey, if you're enjoying this show, uh, consider supporting us on our Patreon. You can get cool perks like access to these episodes a week before they go public, and you can pick an album for us to review. Any support is greatly appreciated, so if you feel inclined, go to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. You're listening to Polyphonic Press, a podcast for music lovers. Join your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke, as they take a deep dive into a classic album and analyze it track by track. Hi, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm John Van Dyke. And uh, so this is episode number two. Uh, dos. Numero dos. I don't know what to say other than <laughs> this has been uh, fun. <laughs> so far. So yeah, far. we're just more trying to figure out our sound equipment. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. You know, there's still bugs to work out, but we'll get them. Yeah, exactly. So uh, last week was interesting. Uh I never, um, I'd never heard that, uh, that whole album before, uh, the Joshua tree. That was really cool. And, uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear what band we're going to be talking about this week. We shall consult the randomizer. So without further ado, I will press the button and see what album we're going to be listening to this week. Awesome. Drum roll, please. Okay. Ooh. So we're going to be listening to this week, uh, The Grateful Dead and their album, Anthem of the Sun. Hmm. Okay. So first of all, I don't know much about The Grateful Dead. I just know they've got a cult following that will literally follow them from city to city. Mm-hmm. Or at least they did back when they were touring. Yes. Uh, well, I think they're still going. Well, part there's an iteration of the dead that's still going. There's an iteration of the dead, which seems to be, uh, um, oh, what the hell is the hex's name? Bob Weir, and he's doing a lot of touring with Fish, because mm-hmm. that just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or at least they were before all this crap hit, you know? And, and I think John Mayer is, is uh, touring with them at, right now. That's interesting. Dude's a good guitar player, actually. That might be kind of cool, actually. Um, I just, I don't like his guitar face. It can be annoying sometimes. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, I just want to, I'm curious because I want to see what this album is. I, I, the only Grateful Dead album that I know is American Beauty. Um, Mm. I'm, I'm sort of interested in some of their like really early stuff. Yeah. I I wonder where this one kind of falls in. Again, I'm no expert on them either. Anthem of the Sun. So this is their second 68. record. 1968. Uh, yes, good. This is one of the ones on the list that I wanted, I was very interested in. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So, okay. So I'm just reading from Wikipedia here. So, uh, Anthem, of, Anthem of the Sun is the second album by rock band The Grateful Dead, released in 1968 on Warner Brothers Seven Arts. I think we're just going to have to play it. I think we're just going to have to play it. So, uh, let me get... Okay, so let's get into the uh, Anthem of the Sun. Um, This is going to be, I think this is going to be kind of a long one. There's a song that's 11 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, but Uh, how many tracks are there? There's five. 
Oh, well, that's <laughs> your standard long tracks, but short track list. Yeah. Well, uh, album of the late 60s, early 70s. Exactly. It's going to be all right. It's like listening to most Deep Purple records are like that. That's a true. That's true. I guess it's the, it's the same length as an average album. It's just the yeah. songs themselves are longer. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so let's get into this is, so I guess, I'm guessing, because it says that's it for the other one, which is the first song on the album, parts one through four. So I'm guessing this is like a mini opera Something symphony like that, yeah. kind of thing. Um, okay, cool. Okay, so this is, that's it for the other one, parts one through four. Okay, so the, I guess the that track leads into the next one. So I'm just pausing it as it's so. leading into the next one. Yeah, um, oh, I like it. <laughs> that was uh, strange. Um, yeah, it was really odd. Um, actually, I'm wondering. Like, there was a f- couple of times where it sounded like, uh, like there was static coming through in some places. Was that actually part of the track, or was that? I think like, so. Just yeah, there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, towards the end there. Yeah, that was truly uh psychedelic <laughs> that's a word for it yeah um but you know what it's not that weird in like it's not that different than jazz really oh no 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 absolutely well you know some of the more freeform jazz i mean we've always known that you know bands like the grateful dead and uh well, actually, a, there was a lot of jazz influence going into a lot of bands around that period. That's just one of the things they would, um, you know, uh, reference in many cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, prog rock bands would do things like that, as well as classical. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think the Grateful Dead sort of, you know, I mean, we know them as a jam band and much like the Allman Brothers sense, but they were a little more of a, well, they were your San Francisco psychedelic group for sure but they 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 again they had a little bit more of a different uh they were a bit of a prog band at times yeah but and but i i would also argue that i i jam bands and jazz are more related than they are distant um probably especially i i noticed especially the way that the they were playing the drums that's a very jazz style of playing the drums mm-hmm. um and his and uh, Jerry Garcia's guitar playing is very jazz influenced. Like those lines that he was playing were very, yeah, very much influenced by jazz guitar players. But then, and and it, I was kind of right that it 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 was kind of like a mini opera, mm-hmm. and it, go, it went through different phases, I guess, or movements, I guess you could call them. Yeah, and um, but then towards the end, it just kind of devolved <laughs> into yeah. It, Cacophony. something yeah cacophony or i don't know it's one it's pronounced one of those ways <laughs> yeah. um but you know i was listening to it and it, it, it's not that far off as well and i can kind of hear the influence of some of the stuff that brian wilson was doing on like pet sounds yeah absolutely um and and smile yeah wouldn't come out for a good 50 years <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, you can 45. definitely hear that yeah. that experimentation that influence um in this mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, listen to the track that it was going to bleed into. Yes. The next track is called New, <laughs> New Potato Caboose. That's yeah. uh, sweet. <laughs> so, so, uh, strap. Oh, yeah. That's good shit. Just <laughs> strap in and uh, let's hear the new potato caboose. Man, this uh, this album so far is a roller coaster. Yeah, there's parts where I absolutely hate it, and there's parts where I'm going, "This is awesome." Yeah, well, yeah, I'm pretty used to some pretty strange stuff, so there's nothing here that I hate. But there's like I can st- I-, I can tolerate a certain amount of cacophony because I've listened to those tons and tons of psychedelic albums and tracks and stuff where they do the strangest shit you can think of. And I'm kind of into that. You know, it's it their ideas, they're crazy, they're wild, they're out there. I I'll throw them in my playlist and they're just sort of mixed in there. This is probably going in there itself. Um but yeah, the the um that last song was that that's a more what you would consider that's what you think of when you think of the great grateful dead you think of a jam yeah and that's a really good one too yeah that was uh yeah. that obviously all not all improvised they have uh, there's a basic structure they sort of dance around yeah but a lot of it is improvised and uh i i what i liked about the mix is you had the the two drummers in one in the left ear and one in the right ear Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty cool and i think that's the best way to recover if you got two drummers that's the best way to do it yeah because then they play you know you got sort of like this it's like double tracking vocals but you're double tracking the, the percussion yeah it's pretty sweet yeah actually. it's it's more like an orchestra uh, yeah in that way and there are only i, I can only think of a handful of bands that have two drummers Obviously, the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers. King Gizzard has two. I know I've seen a few others, but it's a rare thing to have two. It, it's pretty. Ra- it's well, it it really takes a certain amount of. Uh, again, you have to play with space. You don't want to. You don't want your drummers to be too busy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can be fast, but they got a. They got a really kind of like a between a bass player and a drummer though probably even more so they really got to be in step with each other otherwise it can be uh downright cacophony it'll, it'll sound like you know the end of the first track <laughs> a little bit <laughs> just a jumbled, not intentionally right just a jumbled mess yeah. of i don't know where we're going what are we doing yeah it, it can come off sounding very busy if you don't know what you're doing yeah but this is this is a really good display of what this band can do in terms of their music musicianship and and playing off of each other. Um, I liked some of the bass lines that Phil Lesh was doing. Uh, just some of the going kind of up and down the neck was that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. This is this is I I can tell that if I go back and listen to it again, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff that I didn't hear the first time through. You could and. and you you probably do that. You could probably listen to it 50 times and still find new stuff. It's just so much going on. But it's not busy. It's just you got new Easter eggs every time you go through it and go, oh, well, that was cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
and then but uh some of the parts that i didn't like were um I, yeah i think just some of the the studio noise that they were doing towards the beginning and it's not that i don't like that stuff it's just sometimes it can go on for a little too long <laughs> yeah before okay. i could like that's fair stop doing this this is boring what are you doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of interesting um, influences being passed around yeah. the room at, at the time. I mean, they're kind of notorious for this. Maybe maybe it helps to be on those substances while you're listening to it. I mean, certainly. Yeah. Um, although, again, I've been pretty blessed with a brain that can get behind it even without the substances <laughs> within my system. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a bit of a ride. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I'm on board. I mean, I've I I'm not. I've uh, sort of. I'm used to the jams. Like I listened to like the Black Crows. They you know jam all the time. And I got into some jam bands when I was a teenager, like Fish and and people like that. So I'm used to I'm used to the jams. I'm used to the long jams. Like I don't mind when a band goes on for like twenty minutes on the same song. That's not the stuff that I. That most people get bored with the Grateful Dead. Yeah. That's not the stuff that I don't like. Like, I, I actually, I like all that stuff. It's just yeah, the... I, I kind of like it sometimes, too. Although, at times I've thought that maybe, okay, this jam is starting to be a little on the long side. Like, that does happen. And I think everybody feels that. Even the band also suddenly feel that and go, okay, maybe we should wrap it up now. Yeah, it's a certain energy that enters the room that I think everybody kind of... It's a collective feeling that okay, this let's let's wrap it up. We we've all been there, yeah. Uh, whether it being in the audience or on the stage, yeah. So the the next song is another long one at uh, two minutes and four seconds. <laughs> it's the short. It's the short. That's this, the short one. It's the shortest song on the album, but it's also a really short song at just yeah. over two minutes. Um, and it's called "Born Cross-eyed." Okay, so that was kind of, I guess, the hit off the album. That was the the song that was released as a single or a B side to a single. Okay, that's interesting. It's uh, it sounded like it they, it sounded like it needed some refining. I think it's a cool song, mm -hmm. but there was a little bit. I don't know. The production behind it sounded a little messy. Yeah, in places. I agree. It sounds unfinished. It sounds like an idea of a song but not a yeah. complete idea or a complete thing. Yeah. But even, well, I think even if they had just, uh, I don't know, um, more than cleaned it up, I think it, they needed a couple more takes of the song because, again, things were a little bit out of, out of uh, I was going to say out of sync. Well, maybe there's a little bit of that going on too, but it seemed a little out of tune in places. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if, uh, you know, they sort of really refined it a little bit, I know this isn't exactly the band's ethos, but I think that song kind of needed it. Yeah, well, I think it, I think the other songs are refined, but they're refined within the. Um, well, they get refined as they jam on them. Yeah, that's kind of how they do things. Well, uh, well, it's like I uh, the idea that the the band is going for is is all the other songs are like 
complete ideas and like you know well thought out mm-hmm. even if it's improvised it's like we're deliberately jamming here this is what we're doing um in that sense i think this like you're right it sounds like they just kind of set up in the studio hit record and went th- through one take and it's a song that they had and they just did it and then that was it and it feels a bit like they needed they had some more space on the album so they just kind of threw it on it sounds a little bit but it's interesting how they picked it to be their b-side yeah well it's a b-side to a single that is was only released as a single yes exactly but but still that's what they picked. i guess just because it was they like well that's the only one we can fit on there yeah so they put it on there that's probably what they were thinking yeah like it's not i don't think it's a terrible song oh i don't think it's terrible at all i just think it needed a little bit more you know again this is another thing i could probably i probably learned to like it a lot more and maybe it's just uh the way it's coming through and maybe there's something being lost in there for me i don't know but i'm sure if i listen to it a few times it's gonna grow on me um and and i do like the initial song i just it seemed a little like uh they needed a couple more takes before they really got it yeah before they really nailed it yeah i agree so the next one is uh the if the shortest song is followed by the longest song <laughs> at uh, 11 minutes and 20 seconds Remember, uh, a roller coaster a roller coaster an absolute roller coaster this one is <laughs> called alligator So that, I was just reading about this song, or this album rather, and that song is a hybrid track. Uh, The first part was uh, studio, and the second half was recorded live. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Hmm. It really did make it uh, blend pretty seamlessly. Well, it says it's a 2001 remaster, so maybe they fixed it a little bit in, in that. I don't know. I'd have to listen to the original record, but it... It, to me, it sounded like they took the two tracks and blended them really, really seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, it's just, you could hear the the beginning of the song sounded like, it sounded a lot like uh, the Born Cross-Eyed track that we had, where it was a little bit like, it was a little unrehearsed or something like mm-hmm. that. But as it went on, and apparently this is amongst two tracks, you can really see where the band, um, where they shine is when they find that sound that they're doing after kind of just going through their parts and, and jamming for a while where they just tighten up and tighten up and tighten up. And there's so much, so many different parts of it going, th- uh, things going on and moving up and then suddenly drums and then the, the rest of the instrumentation comes in a little bit later and then they're quite tight by the, by the end of the thing. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a journey, but but you can definitely tell that the band tightens up as they get towards the end of it. They're still never really tight because they're 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 a, sort of a loose, kind of a laissez-faire kind of a. That's kind of what they want to be. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be too rigid and stuff like that. That's not what they're about. And clearly, it works for them because they've got a very loyal following. So, but yeah, you can definitely hear where they shine. Yeah. The yeah, it, part of the the studio part, and one one of the things that I noticed really early on, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not, 
but it sounded like the vocals were buried very deep in the mix and the instruments were up a lot higher and I couldn't really make out what the lyrics were or what they were singing. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Um, I didn't really care for it, to be honest. I, but maybe that's just my my hang up about mixing and thinking that the vocals should be the highest in the mix and that and then everything else should be a bit lower i don't know but you gotta remember this is pretty early in the band too this is only their second album true and and for a band that that's as you know fast and loose as as this band is it you know when they're recording and stuff like that um like you can tell that they're not they don't put a lot of they don't put a lot of emphasis on their vocals because I don't think any of them are particularly great singers or anything no. like that. But again, they're just trying to carry their tune and it might have been a decision on the recording engineer at the time to maybe bury it a little bit because that's partly and and both this track and Born Cross-Eyed before, that's one of the things I noticed is like they needed to work on the vocals a little bit. But again, this is early in the band's career. I do believe that they would learn to, you know, they, that would get better. They they learn to hit those notes a little better, but that's partly what sort of hurt those tracks, you yeah. know, the last track and this one at the very beginning. Um, yeah, because, well, I, I'm, I'm just going off of um, what I hear from a little bit later in um, yeah. on the album Amer- American Beauty, which I believe yeah. was like 1972. So that was like f- yeah. five years, four years later. Yeah. Um, and they definitely grew a lot in that that short amount Absolutely. of time, and they became better singers. And the mix, the mixing on American Beauty is is a lot. I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it polished, but it's yeah. a little more polished than it is here. And I think that's just because here, like you said, this is early on in their career. This is their second album. They probably don't have the budget to no. be able to uh, record in a, in a proper studio. And that's also maybe why they're blending yeah. live tracks with studio tracks. Is that's all they can really do at this point. Well, there was a lot of bands at the time. Um, even uh, you would get it a lot with like uh, um, Savoy Brown record or something like that, where they really, really, uh, they had a certain sound when they were live that they had a hard time capturing on stage. So they would try to put as many of live takes in their studio albums in quotations so you get like a mix of half and half actually cream was very much the same way um their first two albums were largely in the studio but they were allowed to sort of branch off the last two i mean partly because they couldn't stand each other in the studio any longer um but yeah they threw in lots and lots of uh you know live recordings in there not just to fill it out but because these are legitimately some of the best things they ever recorded and I think that's where the uh, the Grateful Dead were, in, in you, and that's th- why they did that. Do you think a lot of it, too, is the energy that they get from the audience? The, like that immediate response it's, from uh, the audience? I, I would say I, I'm pretty certain that's got a lot to do with it, because there, there is a playoff between them and the audience, and there's a lot more that sort of depends. I mean... Yeah, it's got to be the main factor, actually, um, having the audience there. Because I'm trying to think of, 
Well, you know, there's a lot of, you know, live settings where they wouldn't have necessarily had the time to branch out that they would in the studio. So yeah, it's got to be that they got, they love that playoff with the, with the audience and they just like getting an audience to enjoy what they're doing. It's just part of the part, the package for them, certainly at this point in their career. Yeah. That's an, uh, cause I was just thinking about how like a standout comedian works in that they, and this is where I always saw the the difference between comedians and musicians, but maybe it's, maybe the lines are a little bit more blurred than I thought, but a, com- a comedian will write a joke or a, a, a routine or a bit, and they won't know if it's going to work until they perform it in front of an audience. Whereas music I always saw as kind of the opposite where they could, they could record something and they knew it was going to be okay. But maybe it's, it's, that's not exactly how the Grateful Dead works is maybe they need to try something out live before they know if it's going to work as a song or an idea or a jam or whatever. Could be, but yeah, I mean, even, I mean, another thing where, where a comedian where, where, yeah, being a comedian would differ that way is that, you know, it would be pretty lame to listen to a comedy album with your, com- you know, the comedian sitting in a padded room talking to himself. Yeah. He might as well become a radio DJ. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and maybe he is still funny, but the energy is just completely different. And, and yeah, to, and a lot of comedians really, really, really depend on an audience's reaction to really get, you know, the point across i mean it is a give and take it's basically a conversation i mean only one of them has a microphone but the reaction is the other half of the conversation mm-hmm. and i'm and i'm starting to think that band the grateful dead and bands like them kind of work the same way which is cool i mean i mean you know you can you can be a band like well like you too where it's a lot of heavy studio production or you can do, you can do this where it's not so much. I mean, this this album has, especially the earlier tracks, they had a lot of fun in the studio making sounds. But I don't think, I don't think that's where the Grateful Dead's strengths are. I think their strengths are playing live and getting that audience feedback, getting uh, being able to flesh it out in front of an audience too. It's uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of musicians that would not feel comfortable doing that, and it seems the Grateful Dead are at their best when they take like a nugget of an idea and actually turn it into something in front of an audience. Like, you know, it's it's barely a thing until the concert's over. So, and I know, I know, I know, bands do do that. They they do they'll they'll set up and jam until an idea comes out, but they won't do it in front of people. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, some bands just, they just need that uh, audience input. Yeah. Cool. I'm, gl- I'm glad I, I, I realized that um, just like just listening to this and talking it out because I had always, I never paid much attention to the Grateful Dead. Um, mm-hmm. We all know driving that train high on cocaine because that's the one that's all over the radio. Yeah. Or it was anyway. Um. But hearing the way that they, and, and I can hear um, their influence on later bands too. Uh, 
but I can also hear, like I said, the the influence that they had, especially the earlier tracks on this album from uh, like uh, Brian um, Brian Wilson. Um, so yeah, so I it's interesting to hear like they they don't they they're sort of the unsung heroes in rock in that they never they I think they only had like one or two big hits, um, but they had a whole career and made a whole career of having a following. And, but I think a lot of other bands that were more popular than them consider them an influence. Absolutely. Kind of happens a lot and it's not fair. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, well, you know, I, I've never talked to Jerry Garcia or, or Bob Weir about how they necessarily felt about kind of having like, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a small following. It's a very big following, but it's not a pop following. It's not. Yeah, it's not a mainstream. Yeah, it's not mainstream at all. Yeah. Um. the 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 name is known. It's a household name, but n- most people don't really, you, you you know, they don't necessarily put a, a really. I'd say they wouldn't put a sound to it. They got a, an idea of a sound to it, but they don't necessarily have a well flushed out idea of the sound that they think they have a basic idea of what, Oh yeah, it's a grateful Dead. They do that. But yeah, again, it, it's, it, it takes a certain amount, uh, a certain type of person to really get it. And that person is not turning on pop radio. <laughs> yeah. And I think everybody knows of the, like the, some of the aesthetics of the band too, like the, the skull with the lightning bolt and some of the logos that they use. The walking teddy bears. Yeah. Um, I think people know those. I don't know if they know what it's associated with. So I think yeah, they see it. On, they see them on the backs of cars and right. Go well. There's a deadhead. Yeah. If they know that. If they know what a deadhead is, I think their 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 iconography and their aesthetics sort of transcend the band. And it's I don't know if it, if any other band has has that. I'd say the closest thing would be probably the Rolling Stones and their tongue, their lips and tongue. That'd probably be like the closest thing that's come to mind. There's probably other ones out there. Um, I guess Nirvana and their 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 hat their happy happy face with the tongue out and xed out eyes, maybe that. But uh, yeah, that's probably pretty. Um, that's a fairly good parallel. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So we've got. One more track. Uh, this is the, f- and this is the the only the fifth song on the album. Uh, yep. Second longest. Second second longest. It's called uh, "Caution." Do not stop on the tracks. Neat. Yeah, I was just like, caution, do not stop on tracks, and then we get a train wreck. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, something. Wild. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know I'm going to have to go back and listen to this album in, like, all the songs in sequence, because you can definitely tell where that last, this last track was a continuation of the previous track. Yeah, and I was just going to say that I didn't really care for this song, and I think it's because 
you know, we took a pause between the two to talk about it, obviously. And I think it's because it lacked the buildup to where it was. And I think you, it's, it's just, it's, here's the jam. It's not a standalone track. Exactly. Um, so I think you need to hear both Alligator and Caution together in order to get into it. So I found myself kind of like, uh, this isn't that great, but I think it's just because it, I didn't have the buildup. It wasn't build up, building up to where it was. It was already there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was definitely, there's a lot of interesting things going on in there. Uh, you know, a lot of great sounds, a lot of really strange sounds. Um, yeah, towards the end. I mean, we weren't entirely sure when it was going to actually end. It got quiet there, but there was still like a good two or three minutes left on the track. And then, of course, probably Jerry Garcia's guitar started to come in with some feedback and springy sounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you made the comment, and I and I thought the same thing, as it reminded me of some of the stuff. Well, like, we would had a band in high school, and we would jam in your basement. And, <laughs> and we made some pretty strange sounds. Yeah. I, I found out that if I turn my amp just up to four, I have a big Fender Super Twin, and, you know, as it, it's known for being a stupidly loud amp, not necessarily one of the greatest sounding amps. I don't think it sounds that bad, honestly. But, uh... Yeah, I, I usually had it at about three, and that's plenty. But if I turned it up to four, I could get some pretty crazy sounds. Out yeah. <laughs> and I remember... And yeah, you, that's what we were doing. Yeah, I remember you had that, that phase shifter, and we would turn that all the switches on on that and then do that with the feedback. We could get some pretty funky sounds doing that, yeah. too. The, uh, the, the old maestro phase shifter and... Uh, I also had that bank of switches. I had, um, oh, what was it? Well, anyway, there was a delay in there, and there was a chorus attached to it and, and things like that. But, yeah, I, I especially liked having the delay in conjunction with, uh, what was the, I have to look at the damn thing again. Um, but, yeah, especially with, with having, like, um, the delay and something or other playing in conjunction with it. I think it was maybe... Uh, Oh man, like maybe it was an echo or something like that. No, no, what was it? I don't remember. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It, we we get like these thrumming, repeating sounds, and they would just like turn into this echoing loop. But it wasn't like a screeching feedback loop. It was this rum 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 rum. It sounded like a big engine of some sort. Yeah. So, um, they didn't quite do that on this track, but no, th th those sort of sounds kind of remind me of some of the things we were doing. Mm -hmm. You can tell that it was loud, you know. Was that one recorded in a studio, or is that actually the end of the uh, that, um, live uh, track? That was, um, I think that was two live tracks, um, oh. sort of edited together. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, that would have been a pretty loud show on the stage. I'm yeah, pointing. it would have been. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I would have loved to see this band in like 1970. Yeah, yeah. That would have been so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I, I st I'm still not sure how I feel about this album though. Mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah. It's, it's got some ups and it's got some downs. I'm probably going to throw it in my other, um, collection mm -hmm. of, of, of stuff from this period just because I think it belongs and there is some high points, but yeah. Um, again, it's early in on in the band. There's, there's ideas there, but they weren't as 
they're not as tight as they would become. They needed more rehearsing. It wasn't as they they had some growing to do still. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I and I think certainly drugs played a part in <laughs> in uh this producing and enjoying and enjoying. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't, I don't think this album or this, maybe even this band, but I don't think this album could exist without drugs, um, like LSD. I'm not talking about hard stuff like cocaine and heroin, but you know, like the psychedelic stuff. I don't, I, I, but that, that, that's okay. I mean, I think that's, that works for the, cause they were huge in that, that San Francisco scene. Mm hmm. Um, and this well, is again they had a huge following but they weren't uh you know big brother in the holding company or you know uh oh what's another really big one from that uh, scene oh actually Jefferson um, Airplane Jefferson Airplane that's the other really big one yeah yeah uh but they they were around um did did, did they did they they played Woodstock didn't they I'm sure they I'm not did. sure it sounds like the the sort of place where they would they're not featured in the movie, I don't think. I'm, 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 I'm positive they did, but I'm starting to wonder if they were even big enough to play Woodstock. Yeah, I don't think. Again, they're new. They weren't like a a big draw name. They sort of had to build on that. They had a following, a really uh, rabid following, but it wasn't a pop following. And and Woodstock was very much a pop festival. It would have been, you know, a, a great concert, but yeah, it was a pop festival. Yeah, they, they did play Woodstock. Oh, they did. Yeah, okay. I'm surprised. I, I'm. I was sure they did. I. I. It's been a while since I've even really thought about Woodstock, to be honest. Mm. Um, I know Canned Heat played it. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Uh, Grateful Dead may have been one of the most famous performers at Woodstock, but their set didn't exactly knock it out of the park. So they were. They did play uh, Woodstock, but they were kind of, I guess, forgettable for the people that were there. But uh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, this album, I, I, I'm more familiar with their not their later stuff, like the '80s stuff, but like I think American Beauty, like I said before, is what I'm familiar with, and I th- honestly I think I prefer that album just because. It's a little more put together. It's a little more focused and a little more. I mean, I, this is fun to listen to, but it's it's kind of directionless. If you know, what I mean. a, <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's not a concept album by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think there was an idea sort of behind it. But it meanders a lot. Um, I don't think. I don't think this will be an album that I won't listen to again. I just think I'll have to be, it's going to be something that I have to be in the right mood for. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good. It's something that I, you have to listen to from beginning to end. I don't think it's something you can just listen to one or two songs from. Yeah. Um, I think sooner rather than later, I'm probably am going to be going to put it on and play right through it nonstop yeah. as much as I can. Um, just to st- you know, get a better feel of it, and I might come back with another different take on it. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how you feel about it, like, 
the next listen because maybe it maybe it's one of those uh, things that takes a few times to listen to before you go oh okay i get it i i know what they're doing i don't know but it was it's interesting either way yeah i think so um that seems to have been a i think that sort of wraps up this album yeah um so yeah overall i, I thought it was cool but uh something i it's not everybody's cup of tea exactly. not by any stretch yeah that's it's uh yeah <laughs> yeah there you go. So, You're a Grateful Dead fan, or you won't know what the hell's going on. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm sort of in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, really. Well, uh, all right. Well, um, if there's nothing else, uh, thank you so much for listening, if you made it this far. And uh, hopefully you'll join us next time. And I uh, hope you have a great week. I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy. You have been listening to Polyphonic Press. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Polyphonic Press. Check out the website, polyphonicpress.com. Feel free to drop us a line at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. And finally, you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress.